Thank you for listening to our New Life Christian Center podcast. Stay tuned after the sermon for more ways to connect with us. Open your Bibles, if you would, please, to the book of Romans. Romans chapter 8. I've been talking for weeks about this idea of willingness. And we're we're into the, the kind of the second level of understanding here um, where we realize that willingness is generally a or primarily a fight of the mind. Um, and so we're going to talk about that today. Father, thank you for this time. We bless you, Lord Jesus, for all that you do in our life. We thank you, Father, also that the questions we have in life are answered through the depth of your word and who you are as our God and who your Holy Spirit is inside of us, Father, answers those questions in a a perfect way according to exactly what you see that we need. And so we thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. So um, maturity is is really an interesting process in all of our lives. It technically has nothing to do with age. And, and so, so when, when you start processing, processing how do we mature uh, and, and what does that look like, spiritual maturity? In fact, the Bible, uh, especially in the King James Bible, uses the word perfect in a lot of places where other translations will use the word mature. And so, so basically what God seems to suggest in his word is that as we grow in him, we become perfect or we become mature. Now remember, Christ's likeness is something he does in you, not something you do for him. Christ's likeness is something he does in you, not something you do for him. You cannot become Christ-like through any extra amount of personal work. It's not something that you can just set your mind on and say, well, I'm going to be just like Christ. Because when you do that, when you set your mind on that, what you'll, what you'll do is you'll judge other people to find the level of maturity that you want to be at. Right? You'll do like that guy who, who came in and beat his chest and, and all of that kind of stuff. And he was so, and the, the hypocrite or the religious guy was there. And he says, oh, Lord, I thank you. I'm not like him. So the, the point is that when we set our mind on things, when we do it, when we set our mind on things, we oftentimes choose natural examples as a standard. We want to get better than, and then you can fill in the blank. And And so so be cautious about your understanding of this. Again, Christ-likeness is something that he does in us. He does it through our cooperation, but it's something he does in us, not something we do. So again, if you you say, well, I need to read my Bible more. That's true. We all do. But the fact that you read your Bible 24 hours a day, seven days a week, will not necessarily make you Christ-like. And the way you can test that is when somebody challenges you out in the world and you leave your Christ-likeness to defend your point. You become less than Christ-like because somebody attacked your idea, somebody attacked your belief system, somebody attacked what you think you stand for. So be really cautious about that because, again, maturity will allow you to be attacked without defending yourself. If, if Jesus is your advocate, if Jesus is your lawyer, you know, I don't know much about lawyers, honestly. I, I have a good relationship with Bob. I've asked him all, Bob West comes to our church, retired lawyer. I've asked him all kinds of questions, but most of my legal example comes from television. 
Okay, which may or may not be right. But one of the things that you may see in every little television plot that has a lawyer in it, he says to his client, when you get in there, don't say anything. Okay, that, that's their instructions to you. And, and so if, if you'll just, just process with me for a second, if Jesus is your defender, he does not need you to add your words to his stuff. But it's extraordinarily difficult. That's maturity. And that maturity is normally just this fight in the mind, a willingness to let Jesus be your defender. And boy, is it hard because guess what? There are not very many people in the world that actually agree. See, that's the problem with being a people pleaser is that none of the people agree. So you can only be a person pleaser. And you'll normally please the person who is the loudest and who scares you the most or who you don't want to talk to the most. Amen. And so when we're talking about soul willingness, then we realize that it's primarily a fight of the mind. And here's how it works. We get in that situation and our mind begins to work. And we figure out how that we can take apart whatever argument that we're in, whatever situation we're in. We figure out how we can understand that. It's the logic of the soul that gets us in trouble. The logic of the soul. How many of you have ever had an issue with a company, a government, a, a group of people, and you said, well, if, and then you tell yourself whatever your great opinion is, right? I mean, I, I, I remember thinking in Colorado when, when they quit giving us plastic bags, I'm thinking, well, this will be really good. They'll provide somebody right there at the end of the checkout thing that'll help us with that because they're saving money on the bags. That was my great logic, right? You know, <laughs> when you pay your tax bill, you think they're going to fix your roads. My point is that soulish logic, almost, oh, I'm sorry, Randy. <laughs> Does anybody come to our church from your road grading thing there? Do they? Oh, Byron does. All right, Byron, way to go. Well, you can always talk to him in Jesus' name. You know, you can always bring God into this thing and, and tell him how important it is for God. You see what I'm saying? We bring soulish logic into the picture. Soulish. Did you know that your five senses are completely useless until you filter them? The fact that you see something doesn't do anything. But when you put it through a filter... Flesh, soul, or spirit, depending on your filter, your senses will motivate you. And they're terrible leaders. Your senses are terrible leaders. Right? How many of you have ever smelled bread cooking? How many have ever had the opportunity to find where that smell was coming from? And then only to go in there, and I love heels. I love the heels of bread. And so when, when I bake... As soon as it's cool enough to cut, by the way, lay your bread on its side when you cut it. It won't squish as bad. But anyway, cut the heel off and I immediately put that in the toaster. Why? Because my nose through a filter put me in motion. Does that make sense? So when you hear something and you filter it, well, things ought not to be that way. Well, congratulations, your filter may very well put you in motion. 
So what I'm talking about in soul willingness is to make sure that you process with an appropriate filter. Your flesh will not filter well with any of your five senses. And before you think, well, I've got that spiritual sense. Technically, there are only five. God made them up. There is no ESP. Okay. Extra sensory perception comes from the world. It does not technically exist. Thank you for your enthusiasm. You know, (laughs) the point is that your soulish guy using spiritual understanding or a renewed mind may very well know the things that God is going to do. That's not extrasensory perception. That's discernment in the spirit. There is, it's not some hocus pocus kind of, of, of cloud of, 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 you know, ghosts that are telling you. And listen, if you think, well, I'm going to communicate with the dead or I'm going to do any of those kinds of things, you'll notice that those things work through your five senses. They're filtered. What gives them action, what gives them activity is the filter that you use. Yes and amen. Are we okay? I don't mean to pop anybody's bubble here, but, but don't tell me you can't, you can't help yourself. Nope, you have a filter, and when you see something and you filter it improperly through the wrong source, it will motivate you to action one way or another. Right? How many of you know you don't need to see what's going on to pray? Pro- I'm going to give you a prayer thing right now. Got a, I got an a, a email this morning from one of our pastors. He pastors in Bethune. He uses his leadership and his wisdom stuff to, to have this, these meetings in Kenya, Africa. And since he's been coming to our deal, he'll, he'll call me if I, if I teach something that fits in whatever they're doing. He says, Pastor Glenn, can I have that outline? He says, I'm going to send it to, to Kenya and we're going to develop into a, into a lecture for people studying godly wisdom in Kenya. Okay? So one of the guys that does that lives near a gas production area that blew up. And hundreds of houses have been burnt. And Alan, one of the guys that teaches these things, was off teaching somewhere. And his wife and three children were burnt quite bad. And they lost everything. Now, I can tell you that story. And you'll have to filter it. Well, what are you going to filter it with? If you filter it with your soul, if you've ever had anybody experienced in burn recovery and all that, what you'll filter through is how hard this is going to be for them. If you filter with your flesh... You might want to send them your junk so they can have something to live on. If you filter with your spirit, you may want to engage God in a confident expectation of what his word says. You see how that works? So your senses are totally useless without a filter. How many ever walked by a restaurant and thought it smelled like they were cooking something really good? Yeah, I mean, just getting started and there's this great smell that's coming out of there. Did you know that every restaurant knows that trick? They put butter, quarter cup of butter, on their flat top or in a pan. They take a 27-cent onion and they cut it up and they just cook it real slow. And the the exhaust fan of the restaurant sucks it out and blows it out into the air. You walk by and say, I wonder what they're cooking. I can tell you what they're cooking. They're cooking a single onion that they may very well throw away before the... Dinner rush starts. Now you may say, I got to go there. See what they just did? 
they did something to energize your senses and your senses were informed by the filter. Yes and amen. Thank you, Pastor, for that one. Romans chapter 8, look at verse number 5. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds. They literally use a filter of something. Notice what it says, of the things of the flesh. So your mind it engages a filter based on what pops up, right? So those who set their minds. How can I get away with this? What should I do with this? Oh, God will always forgive me for this. And you set your mind on the things of the flesh. And that flesh thing has a system, literally a principle or system of operation. The world has a system and principle of operation. That's why you deserve a break today at McDonald's. They have a system and principles of operation. Did you know that? That's why Ford has bright ideas. They have a system. That's why the government is trying to convince you to electrify your car. They have a system. When your mind energizes that, you will think, well, of course, that makes perfect sense. Unless you live in rural America and it's 200 miles to the nearest city. And your electric car will only get you there and halfway back before you have to stop for 45 minutes to three hours to get enough electricity to do that. I'm not opposed to electric cars. What I'm telling you is it makes perfect sense for some people because of their filter. It does not make it right or wrong. Right? How many of you know that when you drive an electric car, it still costs you to drive the car? <laughs> I don't care whether you have one. Okay? Just don't use your crazy filter to try and convince me of it. Don't set your mind on those things. Literally, it means to exercise or entertain by opinion. When it says set your mind, it means exercise or entertain by opinion. How many of you would be so, so, so open to say that you know that you have strong opinions? Right? You all do? And how many of you will use that opinion to judge others? Well, if you would just do it this way. How many of you recognize that not very many people are obviously interested in your opinion because they already don't act like you? If they were interested in whatever your group of opinions would be, they'd act like you. Does that make sense? And so they set their minds on things different than you set your mind on. I'm always impressed when somebody sets their mind on evangelism. I always like to keep people around me like that because I feel like they'll do some of the work that I just don't. <laughs> Come on, don't look up here at me and say, well, I just can't believe you. Do you take every opportunity that you have? No, this doesn't count for you, Larry. <laughs> do you take every opportunity you have to witness to somebody? Because sometimes I'm just busy and I walk right on by. But let's, here's, here's my filter. Let somebody say something in my hearing that I have a teaching point for and you're in for a conversation. Because I will teach you at the drop of a hat, but I may not witness Christ with you until after I teach you. You do not want to be on vacation with me in a hot tub. Because 
I'm just waiting for somebody to push one of my buttons. And then out it comes. Ask anybody who works with me. They come into my office. They say one little thing and out it comes. You know, Jeremy's a prime example. He comes in once, twice a week and gets about, about an hour's worth of stuff he didn't sign up for. But it was good. Oh, man, it was awesome. Yeah. <laughs> I was pleased with myself over there. My point is that what you set your mind on is really an exercise or the entertainment of an opinion. Can we please just recognize that? So that we quit beating each other up over the opinions of what I think you should do and what you think I should do. You understand when the church doesn't look like Jesus, not very many people want to join you. Because you are biting and devouring each other. You say, no we're not. Yes we are. The body of Christ has teeth marks on it. Verse 5, for those who live according to the flesh set their minds. Now, most people say, well, see, they're living according to the flesh. The reason they're living according to the flesh is because they set their mind on the flesh. And what they set their mind on informed or literally gave a filter to whatever they're going through. See, if you're going to be willing, you're going to have to have the right filter of what you're going through. Everybody in this room has gone through something they didn't sign up for. Didn't like it. I mean, Neil's sitting over here, his, his father-in-law, 10 days, 12 days ago died. Week after that, his father died. Is that about six weeks? Oh, well, then you shouldn't be struggling at all. Don't worry. <laughs> now, we all know that our parents are going to pass. We just, we just know that that's in the, the, the lineup. We get to bury our parents. It's still not easy. Because we want that one more day thing. We want to figure out how this, how this works. And so we have to filter those things. I was just talking with Larry Hilbert out in the foyer. And, and his son-in-law, Jeff, who's a friend of us and a friend of this church, married Christy. Chris? Okay. Got so dang many kids, I can't remember their names. And his father passed away. You know, it just happens. It just happens. But what do you set your mind on? And so Larry's telling me this story. And he says, he went for, a, he had his breakfast or something, went for a walk, came in, sat down in his chair, had a heart attack and died. I thought, oh, yeah, that's exactly how I want to do it. Right? I just want to be doing everything I want to do. And one day I'm done. I'm out. You say, will that happen? Don't know. But I'm entertaining the opinion, aren't I? Right? If you entertain it too much, you'll come up with why some people have to suffer longer. My point is that when you set your mind on things, it has a system of operation. A system of operation. If you try and accomplish spiritual things with worldly principles, you will never get the spiritual thing. Whatever battle you're fighting, whatever struggle you're having, the Bible clearly tells us there are no fleshly weapons to accomplish it. My weapons are not carnal. They're spiritual. They're energized and engaged. Let's just look at it. Second Corinthians, please. Chapter 10. Now notice in the third verse, 
He says, though we walk in the flesh. He's saying to us that in our present condition, the only motivation that we can have to move from one spot to the next is fleshly. I have to tell my feet to pick them up, get out of bed, put some clothes on, you know, go walk this way, whatever. He says, though we walk that way, we don't war that way. So he immediately removes our, our, our living from natural to spiritual. He says, we don't war according to the flesh. Here's, the, here's some important things. For the weapons of our warfare, warfare are not carnal. They're not fleshly. It is not possible to have victory in the spirit with carnal weapons. Not possible. You say, well, I just don't believe that, Pastor. It's okay. I'm not trying to convince you of anything. I'm merely telling you what the Bible says. If the Bible says it and they're not carnal, then every carnal weapon that we use. How many of you know what some of your carnal weapons are? I mean, as an as a immature, you know, four-year-old, one of your carnal weapons might get us just to sock the other guy in the face. Right? What? Prayer. That's another good filter. How many of you recognize that one of your carnal weapons is your own voice? And we think we're okay because we say what's true. You know, I don't want to get too far into this, but you understand that carnal weapons are destructive to spiritual outcome. Okay. Notice it says in this fourth verse, they're mighty in God. Notice where the weapons exist in. They exist in God. See, most people believe that if they'll speak the truth in love, that that's enough. But that truth exists in you through a filter of you. If you're going to be willing and eat of the good of the land... You'll have to process what you're going through through a spiritual filter that is looking for good. If all you get when you look at the world is how terrible it is, your spiritual filter is off. Does that make sense? People say, well, you know, Pastor, it's, it's got to get bad so Jesus can return. First of all, Jesus is returning for a... Can I just point this out to you? This is going to be hard for some of you to process. Jesus is returning to, for a bride. There's a transformational thing that happens in the body of Christ, turning us into a thought process that makes us a woman, spiritually, now. And it says she is without spot or wrinkle. That's what Jesus is coming back for. It, 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 it doesn't say he creates it when he gets here. Right? He says also, when I come back, will I find faith on the earth? What's he looking for? A bride with faith and no spots or no wrinkles. It's not our responsibility to do that. It's our responsibility to cooperate with the transition necessary in our brain to become a bride. If I could teach this for a long time, I'd, I'd, I'd really, you know, delve into some of the stuff that, that you would have to process as a bride over a bridegroom. It's an awesome thought process. We don't have time today. But, but you understand, he says they're in God. And notice what they're there for. 
for pulling down strongholds. Strongholds is literally castles or enforcements of opinion, ideas, mental thoughts. All of us have strongholds. All of us have strongholds. Some of them are good strongholds. If you have a stronghold of grace, it's a good deal. If you have a stronghold of judgmentalism, not such a good deal. See, you've, you've built these things and they're to be pulled down. The bad ones are to be pulled down. Notice it says in the, in the fifth or sixth verse, what verse am I on? Fifth, casting down arguments. If we set our mind on spiritual things, we will be able to cast down arguments. Now, before you get sideways with me, this is not your ability to cast down somebody else's argument. This is your ability to cast down your argument. The argument that comes up in your brain that says things ought to be this particular way. So our, our weapons are not carnal. They're never carnal for a spiritually filtering person. Right? So somebody comes up and they offend you. First of all, the reason that you're offended is not because they talked. Stop blaming the other person. The word for offense means the shiny part of the trap where the bait is put. For you to be offended, you have to take the bait of Satan. Whose fault is it you're offended? You took the bait. You took the bait. And you said, well, I just don't believe it. It's okay. You don't have to believe it. I'm not here to try and convince you of this. But I will tell you that the Bible supports this. You know, when, when, when the disciples, specifically Peter, figured out that Jesus was the Son of God, Jesus came to them and said, who do men say that I am? And he says, you know, some say Elijah and some say that. And then he, Jesus asked them, he says, who do you say I am? And he says, you are the, the Christ, the Son of the living God. And, and Jesus says to Peter, flesh and blood didn't reveal this to you. But my Father who is in heaven, three verses later, Peter confronts Jesus to correct him. And Jesus turns and says to him, get behind me, Satan, and then talks about offense. Peter took the bait after having one of the greatest revelations existing in mankind to that point. And then he lost his Christ-likeness like that. Why? Because he became offended. He cut off the connection between his head and his heart. If you cut off the connection between your head and your heart, you will get stuck in your carnal head. The longest journey any of your Christ-likeness will take is the 18 inches from your head to your heart, or however far that is. That's the biggest journey your stuff will ever take, is getting from here to here. You get offended, it cuts off that connection. And you will berate people from your head regularly. You'll be offended. You say, I'm not offended. They hurt my feelings. Well, congratulations. Your feelings got hurt because the mousetrap of offense whacked you in the back of the head. I used to bring a rat trap. And I used to take a big pen, one of those stick pens. And I was teaching at Womack School doing this thing. And I had this, this little thing on a little platform up here. And, you know, rat trap's about a foot long and four inches wide. Have you ever seen a rat trap? Oh, they're awesome. They're scary to set 
Because that thing comes over, you know, so, so hard. And so I would use a big stick pin and I'd stick it in there to, to flick the trigger. And many times it would just bust that pin in half and throw ink everywhere. Now I found that out by accident in the basement of Andrew Womack's building. <laughs> Hope they were thrilled. <laughs> they don't have that building anymore, so we're good to go. <laughs> but, but anyway, the point is, the point is that, that the issue of touching that trap is your responsibility. If you set your mind on that, you will never have the ability to turn the other cheek. And by the way, just because you think you have two does not mean after the second time you can poke somebody in the nose. Right? Just keep turning. Because it will not do you any good to entertain weaponry that is carnal. Notice what it says in the sixth verse, again, fifth verse. It says, casting down arguments. These are your arguments. For why people ought to be like you. Remember arguments, you're casting down a false standard. Let's just take it into our house, shall we? How many of you think your children ought to be more like your standard that you're presenting to them? What I mean by that is how many of you got opinions about your children? How they should act and react and be. You say, oh no, I'm going to let God just develop that in them. Well, you're going to let God do it until they make a choice you don't like. And then depending upon your maturity, you're going to pitch a fit on the inside. Less mature people pitch it on the inside and the outside. And even less mature people of that pitch it on the person. So, you know, graduate a little bit. And on the fourth set of maturity, you don't pitch a fit anymore. Why? Because you cast down the argument. You cast down the argument. Do the work that the Bible tells you to do. Train them up in the way they should go when they're old. Okay? When they're young. Leaves out that middle spot between young and old. That's when the work happens. Okay? If God's word is true, they will come back. And please, please, please understand what being a prodigal actually means. A prodigal is just someone who wants the father's stuff without the father. Put that in your spiritual relationship. I want God's stuff, but sometimes I don't want the father. Because his role in my life is crucifixion. And it always hurts. It's never fun when God points out the parts of you that should be dead, but you keep resuscitating. And he tells you about it. My point is, you've got to cast down these arguments. If you're maturing, you might see somebody else doing or acting or thinking the way that God has just been hammering you. As you mature, the stuff God seems to deal with you just gets smaller and smaller. Don't treat people that way. You know, you've heard it said, the law says you shall not, you know, you should not lust after your neighbor's wife. Jesus said, but I say to you, if a man looks on a woman, <laughs> or he says, don't commit adultery. If a man looks at a woman, he's guilty. Grace does not make things easier. It makes things possible. You cannot do it in the law. You do not have enough strength to say, well, I'm just not going to covet if you don't receive Jesus Christ and his principles and begin to set your mind on those things above, 
you will by default set your mind on things of the earth. You will use the filter of flesh and or unredeemed soul. So again, all, of, all a prodigal is is somebody who wants the father's stuff without the father. If you process that, you'll grow. Because there are things in our life that we want, sometimes for others. Come on, my kids moved out of my house, just like your kids moved out of your house. And you hoped they were doing the right things. And whenever they were in crisis, they called you and said, oh, I need you to pray for me. Why? Because they wanted the father's stuff without the father. They're out there eating the pods from the pig pen of life. And they call for prayer. You say, well, my kid's being persecuted. Maybe. Maybe. They also may be educated. That's really hard. Because you see, we've got, to, we've got to cast down the arguments, right? So God, I know you're doing an amazing work in my children or in this person or in the, I, I know God you're doing. Hey, I, I, when I see, you, you know that I can't go anywhere in life without having pastor tattooed across my forehead. I can't walk up to a table in a restaurant. It's always great fun to go to restaurants after church and meet people who were not in church. It's always awesome. You can't believe how quick they talk. And I just walk up to them because I want to grow. I'm not trying to put pressure on them. Listen, God isn't counting your attendance. You don't get a, a, an S or a U behind your report card. But what do we do? We do a lot of those kinds of things because we're processing things through the wrong filter. God is not impressed by what we do. He is impressed by what he instructed his son to do and what he cooperated with in his son, which makes no sense to me whatsoever that he loved us so much that he sacrificed his own son and that the son did it for the joy set before him. So notice then again in verse number five, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. Notice that when we set our mind in, inappropriately, things will elevate above the things of God. They will make things way more important than the things of God. In fact, in many cases when this happens in a person's life, they try to make their opinion a part of God. Let me show you how that works. There's been a colossal argument throughout the church. I'm not trying to touch anybody here. I'm trying to look and see if I know any of this about any of you. But, but I, I've had to process this in my own life. And I've heard good thinking people tell me who can and can't go to heaven. Based on the person's activity. That's just an opinion. That's just an opinion. You see what I'm saying? And, and so when we get to that place, people will say all kinds of high-minded things. Like they're helping. I've been in my best funeral suit wanting to slap many of the people who are talking to the family. Because they say goofy stuff. I say goofy stuff sometimes. Let's, you know, let's be honest about this. We don't know what to say under the circumstances, so we say goofy stuff. But some of the stuff way out there goofy. You know? My point is, 
that occasionally our opinion about how we think God should be is not necessarily how God is. And we stand so strong in that opinion that we're offensive to others. You say, well, why is that a problem? Because if you hope to walk hand in hand with them as you lead them to a saving relationship in Jesus Christ, you ought not to beat them up first. They're not going to want to walk with you. No one learns better having themselves educated by a baseball bat. Verse number five, verse number six, five, end of five. It says in every hand it exalts itself. Notice the language. It exalts itself. It makes perfect sense. We live in a world. We live in a country. Let me give you a, 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 a decent example. We live in a country that evidently is, is about half and half split. People that think like us and people that don't. And the people that don't are crazy. I mean, full-blown, nuts. And yet, I have a friend in Birmingham, Alabama, his little area, 80% black. I want to point something out to you. They don't think like us. Generationally, they don't think like us. Now, it's no different than me going to a foreign country and saying, you know what you really need to do? You need to become like America. That'll help you. How, they don't even know what to, how to process that. And so what happens is that, that we have exalted a position in our own mind above the things of God. See, that's what happens. When, when we get to this place where we're setting our mind on things, we, we, we actually exalt an opinion or a thought process. And it's difficult because even if you're right, even if you're exalting a long lost principle of God up there, we still shouldn't beat each other up with it. Against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity of the obedience of Christ. Bringing every thought into captivity. Notice the captive thoughts that we're supposed to put in prison are the ones that don't look like Jesus. And you say, well, I know what Jesus looks like. Nope, you have an opinion of what Jesus looks like. You might be right in your opinion, right? There are good-hearted, biblically sound people who would disagree with your position, let's say, on Pentecost. Without any struggle whatsoever, they will tell you that prophecy ceased, and when prophecy ceased, they used a prophecy to tell you that tongues no longer exist. There's a level of circular logic that I just go, um, you can't use something you say doesn't exist to prove that something doesn't exist. I mean, uh, and I want to say, duh, you know, but you see the duh doesn't work very well. I mean, sometimes I do say it, but it doesn't work very well. Are we together? Turn back to Romans chapter 8. Notice the fifth verse, for those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the Spirit. But those who live according to the Spirit, notice there is a possibility here to live according to the Spirit. To live with spiritual filtering into every one of our senses. Okay? Spiritual filtering. The Bible says, taste and see that the Lord is good. Right? He, he gives us these examples and we go, how do we do that? We have to filter that through spiritual mindset. 
Your senses are absolutely useless without a filter. Did you get the lesson today? <laughs> your senses are useless without a filter. And you always use a filter. Always. He says, who live according to the, the things of the Spirit. Literally, again, that system of operation. There is a system of operation. We must be willing to consistently develop our understanding of the system of, oper of operation. How does this work? Rather than saying, well, that doesn't work. Nope, that's not one of the options. God started in the beginning by not failing. He said in the middle of the, at the beginning of the Gospels, he said his word never fails. He said at the end, this is how it's going to happen. He's never failed. And yet what we look at through our own filters is, by experience, this part of the word of God has failed. No, it hasn't. It hasn't. But what do we do with it? We begin to educate ourselves through the system of spiritual filtering. Filtering. So what does that mean? It means to exercise these things, this fight that goes on in the mind. Notice in verse number six, for to be carnally minded is death. When we use the fleshly side of things, those carnal weapons, their natural production, their system of operation is death. It's death. Does that make sense to people? It's the only way it works. You say, well, no, that's not right. Nope. Yep. It's absolutely totally 100% right. He says that, that those who set their minds are to be carnally minded is death. So that's the, that's the system that it operates in. Now, let me just point this out to you. you. Say, well, I don't do that, Pastor. You're just barking up the wrong tree here. When you enter into a carnal argument and one party that you're talking to shuts up, you just killed them spiritually. You lost the ability to have a spiritual conversation by killing the person with your words. I didn't think you'd like it. You say, oh, I don't do that, Pastor. Talk with your wife or your husband when you get home, if you got one, you know, and figure out which one of you shuts up just so the argument will stop. Somebody does. Somebody, you know, just hard charging, man, when to get this order, and somebody just shuts up. The person who's the hard charger thinks they won. The person who shut up says, I shut up. They lost. Because they're still talking in their head. They got all kinds of stuff for you, but they're unwilling to process it that way. So don't look up here and say, well, I don't do that. We all do that. We want to win the argument. We want to prove right and wrong. When Jesus uses unity and honor as his principles... Notice what it says in the sixth verse again. For to be carnally minded is death, but the spiritual mind is life and peace. What is the production then of spiritually minded principles? Life and peace. Now, please don't, don't look at other people and say, I see they're not peaceful. This is not talking about others. It's talking about you. Are you peaceful? Peacefulness is not the lack of conflict. It's the lack of meaningful effect of that conflict. You understand it takes two people to argue? If one of you refuses to do it, you can stay in peace. You say, well, I can't do that. They keep talking. 
They keep saying stuff that ain't right. And I've got an answer to that. It's very difficult to produce life when the principle you're operating through only produces death. Verse number seven. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God. It is in full-blown disagreement with the principles of operation of God. That's why we have so many things in the church that are carnally motivated. So many things in the church. You know, you got to stop smoking, you got to stop drinking, you got to stop chasing women or men, whichever your flavor is, you know, and, and you got to stop this and you got to stop that. And no one talks about what should begin, only what should end. Notice if we end, we're talking about the result of death. Now, there's nothing wrong with death to, you know, cigarettes or whatever you think that that should be. But when you enter into that principle of right and wrong, you will tell people a principle that will only produce death. And they'll come up with all kinds of reasons why they're only hurting themselves. Why does anybody care if I smoke? Why does anybody care if I do this? I'm only hurting myself. That individual carnal thought process is death to relationships. How many of you know when somebody is hurting themselves and you love them, it hurts you? And when you tell them, you just got to stop doing that. That's not information that is lost on them. It's just not information that has a foundation of power because life and peace are the operational agendas of spirit-led living. Because the carnal mind, verse 7, enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God. Now, this is not the Ten Commandments law of God. This is the law or the, literally the system or principle of operation. Here's how God does things. So in the Old Testament, if you touched a leper, you were dirty. In the New Testament, if you touch a leper, he is clean. See the difference? In the Old Testament, if somebody sins, take them outside the gate of the city and kill them. In the New Testament, tell them they're already dead, bring them into the city for life. Completely different. The New Testament has a system, a principle of operation that is completely different than the world. Life and peace. That makes sense. Okay. So good. Did we get somewhere today? Did I universally offend everybody? That was really my goal, you know. To... <laughs> no, it really wasn't. It really wasn't. I... If, we don't atta... <clears throat> if we don't attack the way we think, we're not going to have what, what I would call significant breakthroughs because we're always going to think the way we think. We're always going to use the filters that we think through. Right? And we'll always think other people need to be a particular way and we will become the standard of that way. Be more like me. Amen? Amen. I would encourage you to read ahead and into um, Titus chapter 3 next week. We're going to spend uh, a little bit, maybe not next week. Jeremy's going to I'm having my meniscus fixed on Wednesday. In and out surgery, day, day surgery, 15 minutes, and hopefully back home. You can define home however you'd like. I'm ready for both. But I think I'm coming back to my house. I think I'm coming to Ray, where I live. That doesn't even work, does it? I think I'm destined to stay on this earth longer. 
But nonetheless, that's what's happening. So I may not, I may not teach Sunday school next week, um, three hours on my feet, four days after I have surgery, having done this once before, does not seem like a wise thing to do. And, and in my last church, I preached in, a, in an office chair and people rolled me around. <laughs> and, and when I watched that back in the days of videotape, and when I watched the tape, I thought, this is the stupidest thing I've ever done. <laughs> there are people that can do this. So, so anyway, um, so I probably will not be teaching next, next Sunday. Um, and, and so we'll, we'll pick this up as, as my stamina and ability to stand for, for three hours, which doesn't sound like much until they fix your knee with a truck. So, amen? Amen. Father, thank you for this time. We bless you, Lord God, for what you do. Thank you for your word, Father, and for helping us by your Holy Spirit to just process it in, in a way, Father, maybe that we've, never, that we've never seen it before. So we thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening. To subscribe to our podcast, search New Life Eckley in all of the major podcasting apps. Audio and video of our sermons are posted at newlifeeckley.com slash live, and you can watch Sermon Slices weekdays on social media. Search at New Life Eckley. Our main service is at 10 a.m. Mountain Time every Sunday. Thanks for listening.